This is Jennifer Mack Watkins. I'm a printmaker based in New Jersey, and you're listening to Studio Noise. Yes, it's the noise. You're working in the basement. As soon as you put that brush on the canvas, as soon as you put that pen to the paper, baby, you hear that sound. That's the noise. That's the noise. The sound of creation. And that's what we love right here. It's the Studio Noise Podcast, sponsored by NBAF. National Black Arts doing a lot of good stuff. We got some special stuff up coming up for you. Uh, with NBA, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll let you know about it. It's gonna be, it's be coming real soon, though. Don't worry about it. Just tune in, go out and support them. Head over to nbaf.org, check them out, donate, support the arts, all that good stuff. And this is the Studio Noise Podcast and the Art Podcast, uh, and it's just about as fun as you know doing an electric slide. Why are you talking about making art? Because black people do art, and black people make culture, and we talk about it right here on the Noise. It's your boy, Jay Barber, printmaker, artist, third-year grad student, professor, starting back at Georgia State real soon, real soon. By the time you hear this podcast, I'll be teaching, so that lets you know it's, it's real deal out here. And so, so far, all summer long, has been me and you just hanging out, keeping the conversation going. But guess what? On this episode, special episode, I found Jiggy Jazz. She is alive. She is doing well, and she's back with us. On this episode, she didn't make the intro. Our schedules didn't match up because we, we working out the kinks. We a little rusty, but you know, we still getting in like we do, you know, you know here on the noise. So she is here with us on this episode uh, and we'll get to her and you'll get to hear her lovely voice once again. But right now, it's time for me to drop that studio noise question of the week on you. All summer long, been asking all these questions. Head on over. You'll see the graphic for the question over at Studio Noise Podcast on Instagram. Uh, comment and answer the question. You know, it's been real good. We got a nice, strong book list now. I might have to add that to the website somehow uh, to let y'all know about all the fantastic books we got suggested over there. And so this week, the question of the week is, what do you think of virtual art shows? I think this is a, a great question for people because, uh, you know, I think we we right there in this weird, great area where everything is kind of opening up, but then it, it maybe isn't that safe. You know what I'm saying? Maybe there are outbreaks, maybe outbreaks of the, of the virus. And, you know, maybe not. You know, we might might be reaching a point everybody wear their mask. We might be all right. Or we, you know, or we might not. So a lot of shows have been virtual, like coming up. So tell me, what do you think about these virtual shows? I, I'm on the fence. Like, I, it's always great to see art in person. That's what I miss. You know what I'm saying? That's the, that's the feeling that we want to be able to go out to the art show. It's not just seeing the art in person, like physically being in the presence of it, seeing the materials. It's very hard to experience some sculpture, for instance, on in pictures. The pictures don't do it justice. And so it's, it's always this weird thing. There was one exhibition, one virtual exhibition that uh, that I thought was very, very successful. And, you know, I, I thought it was a fantastic exhibition. That was at September Gray Fine Art Gallery here in Atlanta, they had an exhibition called The Four Horsemen. And that was work of Melvin Edwards, uh, Sam Gilliam, Richard Hunt, 
and William T. Williams. Uh, these, was, these were prints done by and organized by uh, my main man, Mr. Curly Raven Holton, uh, master printer, founder and director of Raven Editions Press. Uh, he works at a uh, Driscoll Center now, Driscoll Center now, and um, that that magical residency I talk about at Experimental Printmaking Institute, he was in charge of that. And so there was one thing about this exhibition. I just I just thought it was a fantastic setup in the way they had it, where you could click around and travel around the gallery online. Uh, the pictures were fantastic. The work was great already, but the work was also prints. So the prints, I think, translated better in the photographs um, where I could understand it. And I don't know. Uh, it was it was just something about it that I thought was was really well executed um, and getting to that website. So tell me. Uh, what do you think of these virtual exhibition shows? We might be doing them for a while. It might be like the new thing because it's, you know, it's relatively low cost. Uh, you don't have to like set up a, your gallery space and, and, you know, bring people in and security. Uh, even now, it's like these galleries might be experiencing financial problems. They might not even be able to afford to have the same space that we used to go to. So, you know, it just, just might be a brave new world. But let me know what you think. And if you know an exhibition that you think worked great uh, and, it's, and if it's still available, tell us about it so we can check it out. Because I, I like to see like a lot of different options to see what people are doing out there because we might have to do. It. You might have to add this to your repertoire. You know, you never know. So definitely head on over to the Instagram. I'll leave your comments. Check it out. Let us know about some good stuff that's going on out there. And up next on the show, we got Studio Noise fam returning founder and CEO of Powerhouse Creator, Miss Ash Nash. Giving us an update on all the good stuff she's got going on. She's got some, she's part of the Mint board now. She's doing, still working hard with Powerhouse Creative. Uh, she's working with the Beltline. She's doing all kinds of stuff. So with all this new extra action she got going on, it's a perfect time to bring her back on the noise and reconnect with the fam. So right after the break, we reconnected with Ash Nash right here on the show and Jiggy Jazz right here on the noise. It's the noise, baby. We live, we live, we live. Oh, yeah. Hello, hello. Yes. All right, all right. It's Studio Noise. Your boy, Jake Barber. And we got Jiggy Jazz back in the building. What's up, girl? Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. <laughs> 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 they don't know what you sound like no more. They wonder <laughs> who are all these people. <laughs> Glad to have you back. Yeah, she's back, <laughs> yo. And we're here with our very special guest, uh, Miss Ash Nash. Founder and CEO of Powerhouse Creative, also associated with the Atlanta Beltline as the arts and culture community strategist. Ooh, girl, ooh, big words, <laughs> big words, doing it. Yeah, so, you know, she's been busy doing a whole lot of stuff. So, you know, what better time to catch back up with Ash? She was already on the podcast. Y'all remember her way back in the day in our early episodes with Fabian. Talk about the capable that, yeah. that y'all had going on. Mm-hmm. No, Ash, say what's up to the people, yo. How y'all doing out there? I hope everyone, you know, it's um, uh, it's 2020. So if you can hear this, I mean, let's just be grateful. I know, <laughs> right. I know that's right. Glad to be yeah. here. I know that's right, Joe. 
<laughs> for sure, for sure. It's been a wild year, but I'm glad it got you back on the podcast. Talk about some stuff. And so first thing, I guess we'll just start off right here with your latest product that you just finished not too long ago. The Juneteenth Takeover at the Flatiron Building mm-hmm. here in Atlanta. So uh, why don't you give people the rundown uh, uh, of what that was? Yeah, so um, Juneteenth Takeover, basically Center for Civic Innovation and C4 Atlanta um, reached out to me. And they were like, we are white-led organizations. We want to be a part of um, the movement um, that's going on behind George Floyd and social injustice and so on and so forth. Um, but we don't feel comfortable. And um, so they offered me their resources and some funding support. And they were just like, here's everything, which also included, um, I would say, 30 plus properties downtown. And they were like, you let us know what you want to do. And that I can respect. Um, (laughs) So... From there, um, I had a project around Juneteenth um, that I was working on that uh, I had a project I had been working on since earlier in the year regarding Juneteenth that had got canceled. And I was just so in love with that project and really hurt when it got canceled that I was like, you know what, this is, wait, let me check the calendar. You know, Juneteenth right around the corner. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to make the play. So... From the time they reached out to me, I had 13 days prior to Juneteenth takeover. And, you know, soon as soon as the deposit hit, it was a go. Uh, <laughs> started planning. I said, this is about to be a real black, a real black project. I'm going to just tell you all that. Because if you, if you let me run with that, I'm going to run all the way. So what we did was... Um, I went ahead and went with the Flatiron Building. I, was, I, lo- I love um, architecture and design, and I like the structure of that building. And, of course, learning the history of it to where the Klan used to operate from 1915 to 1930 out of that building, it was the perfect canvas. So mm. um, just for – and one of my favorite words out of all the work that I do is context. Context, context, context. So um, I took 19 black artists and we wrapped a historic building with beautiful, bold imagery, uh, beautiful, bold black imagery during two active protests during a global pandemic. You know, um, all the artists were paid. They were compensated. And uh, we made a lot of noise made a lot of noise with that project. Um, it's we're still getting an overwhelming response. And we actually had some collectors like purchase some of the pieces that went up on the building. It was only mm-hmm. up for a weekend, um, but the whole community came together. And what I loved about that project was it was, can we go on this show? If you yes. want to, if you, if you okay. feel it in your soul. Okay. To, to okay. <laughs> well, it was, it will, I'll just say it was very black. <laughs> it was very black. It was unapologetically black, and it wasn't main. You know, it wasn't what what's a mainstream imagery. You know, it was what we want to do. It was raw, and my goal with that was um, 
there's a light right there at the Flatiron building. So I wanted, this was for the young black kids in the back of the car seat or, you know, in the back of the car that when they pulled up to that building, I didn't really want them to just see, oh, there's the 10th Black Matter, Black Lives Matter sign that I've seen today. I wanted them to see like, hey, that looks like my uncle. That looks like my auntie. That looks like my cousin. Something I can relate to. Um, this was for them. Mm-hmm. And the public came through and it was all races, all genders. All, it was everything. And they supported. It was they, they lifted us up so we could do what we needed to do. And it was it was a success. No one felt that. Oh well, my life matters too. Or <laughs> you know, what about me? It, it was none of that, you know. And um, so yeah, that was by far one of my favorite projects. No, nah, that's what's up, yo. Yeah. And so, give them some of the details. Like exactly what did you do? You got the nineteen artists, including Studio mm-hmm. Noise Fam, because we everywhere. Had Shanika mm-hmm. Gay, had Charlie Palmer. Uh, yeah. For Pico. Uh, yeah. Flux was part of yeah, it. Flux. Yeah. So you had yeah, <laughs> yeah. nineteen artists, Melissa. and you got them to do mm-hmm. work, and the work was printed out um, at a black-owned print shop. What was the name of the print shop? A West End Print Shop. West End Print Shop. And so, um, yeah, I sourced as many black-owned businesses uh, with the budget that I had for that project. Um, and then also, like, even lunch. Lunch was catered by Local Green. And yeah, That's another black-owned um, food place. Definitely check them out here in Atlanta. <laughs> um, all of the shirts that we wore was printed out by Eugene Bird from Bird's Eye View. Uh, more Studio Noise fam. Just everywhere, yo. What is, what is going on? Yeah, yeah we were deep in there. Yeah, we were <laughs> deep in there. Um, and so other 19 artists. Um, they got to select some imagery that spoke to Juneteenth of being uh, black independence. And it was powerful. I I think, you know, it's interesting about all of the uh, movements going on. And, you know, some folks were like, because when the riots hit Atlanta, we were just a lot of folks were just like, man, I can't believe that happened. Here. But it did. And so you know, some folks were kind of new to that, which is understandable. I mean, everyone, um, when it's your time, the calling, the movements call you, you know, but I've been doing this for a minute. So I, I needed a refresher, <laughs> you know, I needed to see something refreshing, um, but still that addressed the issues because this work gets very heavy especially the behind the scenes of it, especially as a, as a black woman, as a black mother, as a black entrepreneur, this work is very heavy. So I try to veer off when I can. I really like to keep balance. And so I feel that with Juneteenth Takeover, um, those 19 artists picked the perfect imagery. We had a mixture of photography, murals. Um, it was beautiful. Yeah, so, so did y'all put the boards in the window and then so those boards were mm-hmm, those boards were already up all throughout downtown. 
Um, honestly, I don't know why them boards was up. I think I'm pretty sure it was from the riots and buildings, just, uh, you know, property owners just trying to protect their property. Okay. But, um, what was dope about it is that, you know, we turned them into, we got to wrap the oldest standing skyscraper in the city that used to be ran by the clan in beautiful black imagery. And, Mm. and, you know, that's that. For sure. Why do you think it was so important to celebrate Juneteenth this year? I feel like it was it was popping this year. Everybody was like, Juneteenth, Juneteenth, we're about to barbecue, mm-hmm. we're about to go out, we're about to do everything. Uh, why do you think that it was so poignant this year? You know, it's, it's interesting. I think more people are coming in, too. For me, I actually stopped celebrating um, American holidays years ago because I'm like, well, wait a minute. I don't, you know, after educating myself and challenging what we're taught when we when we grow up um it's like uh i don't really want to celebrate that holiday we should, probably shouldn't mm-hmm. be celebrating that and then as i got older and then just traditions shifted with um, my kids it was like you know what that's not i don't i don't want to celebrate that and i'm not going to and i'm going to make an economic you know um stance that i'm not going to celebrate this holiday the first holiday i stopped celebrating was july 4th because i was like this just don't feel right it don't feel right something's not right and then you think about all the marketing that's done around all these holidays and the money that's made Nah, i'm not doing that so playing that game (laughs) yeah i'm not doing that because while I'm an advocate, my activism is economic. Art is just a vehicle. So, um, yeah, that's that's why I feel like, you know, with all the killings um, and folks just fed up. I mean, after a certain point, you just got to tap out emotionally, mentally. It's just too much. And then we're constantly being fed these snippets through our phones of like death and fear and hate. So I think that's really where a lot of the energy that came across the world about Juneteenth. But they, we've been celebrating Juneteenth. I've been celebrating mm-hmm. Juneteenth since I was a teen. They mm-hmm. got a, there's a Juneteenth parade, you know, festivals that we do. Like, it's just Georgia actually didn't even acknowledge Juneteenth as an official holiday until 2011. That wasn't even 10 years ago. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was like, no, nah, I'll I'll do Juneteenth, but yeah, I don't get down with July 4th. I feel that. So let's talk about some of the images that were used there. I know mm-hmm. um, one of my favorite, that one that I kept seeing on social media a lot was the one by Vac Neal, more studio noise. Oh. Fam. <laughs> I mean, they did it everywhere. Yeah. But by Vec, he had the black woman with the uh, Statue of Liberty crown mm-hmm. on her head. And so I saw a lot of pictures of people engaging with the work, coming and looking at it, um, taking pictures, posting them on social media. Like, um, talk about some of the pieces. Oof, there was some strong pieces there. Um, so yeah, Vex piece was dope. Uh, we I had actually curated the building with all of the artist imagery, and then like the day it went down, just certain things weren't working out, and the building actually ended up curating itself. Um. But it was beautiful how it turned out, um, how the artists ended up getting paired, paired next to each other. Um, so you had Courtney Brooks 
she did a beautiful piece that literally said peace in there and it was baby blue and white and then she was next to um mf griffin who had a photography piece because he's a really dope um, photographer videographer of a piece he did called target practice but it has three black boys on there you know and so just the balance of them two next to each other because hers was really uplifting and his was very like this is this is hard you know this is our hard truth um who else do we have? We have Vecnil with, yeah, with the Liberty piece. It was Black Liberty. Her eyes were blacked out. There was chains. Um, yeah, for digital Hamo, chains. Famo mm-hmm. had uh, pictures of his um, his drawings. I think these were his, his series of drawings with the shirts with faces and stuff on it. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, so Fahamu does these watercolors of, um, like, shirt culture. But he puts, he pays um, tribute to those that have passed. And so there was actually a couple of pieces that he had, those are brand new pieces. Like those are the first time that anyone had seen them. Uh, Cause he had just finished them like two days before I got to the print shop. And so, yeah, he had the whole corner of the Flatiron building. We had Carlton Mackey from black men smile and Josh Dingle from black boy art show was in there. Um, and it, and they literally had a, a really dope collaborative piece that just said black joy is revolutionary. And that spoke, you know, really to the tone of the project because yeah, this is our joy. Like <laughs> the world is falling apart, but we still got to get through the day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Chandler Stevens had a piece in there. It was beautiful. Uh, it said power to all people. Truth. The creative had photography pieces of, a of, a young black boy and he he does like these pieces that he shoots of like um a series called i can't think of it but he captures very well like our our more vulnerable in the community the homeless that just get overlooked and so like he he had a really nice piece there zapora joel um sean foy had a piece Today I woke up black in America. Sachi Rome was in there. Uh, Toki Rome was in there. Shaniko Gay, Frico, Chilio, C Fluxing, Melissa uh, Mitchell, DL Warfield. I think I got everybody. Yeah, y'all, you had a, a big group of people, y'all. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Charlie. Charlie's peace. Oh yeah, of course, Charlie's Charlie. Peace. Yeah, can't yeah. forget Charlie. Charlie's everywhere yeah. right now. Yeah, man. Charlie is doing his thing. Charlie has been doing his thing since day one. For sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to jump back to, to what we you were talking about before, about these white-owned organizations. They kind of, it feels like, are recognizing the moment and realizing how lacking they are in terms of representation for African-Americans in particular, but, all, all, you know, a lot of people. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. so... So how do you feel about that? Like these organizations like reaching out specifically because, you know, we're going to put it on the table. You are a black woman like you. You check Uh two of the boxes that they need already. And so Uh what do you feel? Does it make you feel the type of way when these kind of outside organizations that don't necessarily uh, mess with the black arts in Atlanta here that too heavy 
now suddenly, you know what I'm saying, somebody die and, you know, here they are at your yeah, doorstep it, throwing money at you. Yeah, no, I don't like it. Um, I don't uh, I don't like it. Uh, it's very blatant. And, you know, I'm not nobody's face card. And I, whenever I come to these organizations, I'm very straightforward with them. Um, you know, there's I try to win it because as black creators, sometimes it's, it's just inevitable. And we do have choices of who we work with. Um, you know, if an organization, this is my thing. If your organization was founded on in a, in real genuine, like quality and, um, equity and in, inclusion and all those, you know, I hate to call them, what is it? Catch words. Yeah. All the buzzwords. Yeah. Used to get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But some organizations actually do stand by that. You know, and others, they say that, but they, you never see it in their history. You know, or if you're creating in black communities and you don't come in, I always say, like, it's a code. So Mint, um, Mint is a white-led organization. They were originally had a very small gallery downtown. And when they moved into historic West End, I had became a board member. And... As a board member, I said, you cannot come into, I'm not going to allow you to come into our communities and do things that keeps our people out. Or because if not, then you're just another gentrifying organization. You know, you might not be gentrifying the neighborhood within a building or something like that, but your organization, you can't come into our neighborhoods and not include us. So they were totally like, yeah, that's, you know, let's go. We're ready. We, there's a lot of stuff that they wanted to do in the, in the community. And so I've done a lot of work with Mint. And now I would say, yeah, now I am the chair. I'm part of the executive board and I'm chair of the communications and cultural engagement committee because they don't know what they don't know, but what's important is the these organizations being genuine and actually supporting us. And my big thing is if you're one of these white led organizations, you know, give us what we need, which you know that your privilege has gotten you, and fall back and let us we know what we're doing. Mm. You know, um, I've been a part of a lot of conversations where it's like, well, this isn't the time to be celebrating. You know, there's black stuff, um, black social injustice and, and, our, and the climate is terrible. And I'm like, well, I actually happen to be black. You're not going <laughs> to tell me what I can and can't celebrate because I need to get to this period. Yeah. I mean, we would so, never celebrate if we were waiting for that. Yeah. Just because you white or non-black and just got on board um, and now you're all gung-ho, that, uh-uh. <laughs> no so um but anyways with the white-led organizations they do need to there needs to be balance all of the organizations should look like the demographic of our city at least at very least yeah and i think we've had this conversation on the podcast a lot and even over the summer i talked about how uh, if you were looking for um 
black excellence to to or waiting for black excellence like you know if if black people were good enough then they'd be a part of it like that time has already come and gone like black people have been operating and making <laughs> yeah. art on a high level for a long time and mm. so everything that happens that is a denial of that is systemic racism like functioning against us like your implicit bias against um, what you're seeing if you're not willing to acknowledge like for Hamu or Charlie or uh, me or Jazz's mural like in all these other places like if you're not willing to just acknowledge that these um, entities and, and organizations and artists exist and are in operation and are worth supporting then your organization was never trying to support them in the first place. In the in the first place. Because it's like, it's right in front of your face. It's not like, you know, some big hidden secret that, you know, black people yeah, do murals. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, like and, a, this, and this is the thing too. Like, okay, all this stuff is happening. Um, if, if you have to create that much of a pivot within your organization, it's very telling. Right. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And, and for us, they don't even a, a lot of them don't know like well how come they're not well we we got some money for black folks now how they're not we don't trust y'all <laughs> you know what i'm saying it's <laughs> yeah, not just real. about money we do not trust you and so it, it's unfortunate too because well y'all done had all these funds and money all these years and artists have been hurting or needing support especially in atlanta where have y'all been you can't just show up and then be like, here, look what we're doing for black folks. Oh, yeah. Don't work like that. Or especially and you now. Think that, you want to. Yeah. No, nah, especially now. They just don't. To me, a lot of it feels like they just don't want to smoke. They don't they don't want the the eye to be turned towards them and what they're doing. So they jump up and, you know, try to do because, something like real quick, because, like, you know, yeah. with somebody. And there's guilt and there's emotional work that they don't want to do. You know, it, that takes real work to say that's a big pill to swallow and say, hey, I've, you know, I'm privileged. I never not that they never really had to work, but they definitely a uh, uh, 24 hours versus uh, for a black entre creative entrepreneur uh, is very different than another 24 hours for a white um person in management or something like that right in these organizations it's a whole different type of work you know mm -hmm. even from filling out applications um just getting support for those because everyone could say we could put covid in there and people are like oh well just there's money out there just go fill it out have you seen these applications do you know what it takes that it takes some groups up to seven hours to fill out an application um, and a lot of these applications have weed out processes, you know, so it's like, nah, don't think that just cause you are a white led organization and show up or a non-black led organization and show up with the money that we just supposed to be like, Oh, you know what? We forgot about that. Cause if anything, the money that we do get, we just barely paying catch up. That's real. And, and only for this season too, because you know, this moment will pass just like all other moments have passed before that and you know mm -hmm. until they until they have enough till they feel like they have the breathing room to get back to normal quote-unquote normal in terms of what they they figure is important mm -hmm. so tell me and about see, this do you um as you are out and organizing you know the way you do with um 
you were part of the Kaepernick um, murals. And so you've been standing up mm-hmm. for like uh, the social justice is kind of doing his work in the art space for a while. Like, what do you think about Atlanta's response to uh, this kind of latest round of Black Lives Matter and uh, George Floyd and, and all that good stuff? Hmm. Um, Atlanta's response as far as the riots and things like that? Like all of it. Like, because, and I asked that question purposely uh, to be fairly broad because it is so much in like a lot of individual pieces you can focus on. So you can focus on mm-hmm. the, the, the protests and the quote unquote um, riots <laughs> where they had bricks yeah. laid out on, on the March um, way mm-hmm. by some unknown yeah, force. Like, you know, yeah. so, you know, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot that you can, you can talk about. Yeah. So just tell me like, and, and in general, is, how you feel. Yeah. When it comes to organizing, it's a huge responsibility um, for me, I try my as much as possible to be an organized organizer because what you don't want to do is call the community out um, and then be responsible for someone getting killed. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, you know, everyone came at their own will, I wouldn't be able to forgive myself if I organized something and then someone lost their life as a result of something I organized. So you have to be so strategic, you know, um, it's important to just like, I don't really protest in the way that I do it in the streets, but my protest is in so many different areas. Um, in multiple different areas in which I organize. So you, I, I'm not about to give y'all my formula and my sauce, <laughs> but um, no, nah, it's it's just really important that when people do decide, hey, you know what, I want to hold this or a uh, um, uh, protest, or I want to make some noise. Do your research, like practice the pause. You can't be too emotional. You have to have facts, and you have to be prepared for one. What you going to do if someone got gets locked up? You got bail money because they came out for something you pulled together. Um, what's the system? Who's got contact numbers or, you know, we need to have systems in place. So it's just like even um, kill Mike was saying, uh, plot, plan, strategize, organize. You can't just jump out there. Um, now you can. And, and more than likely, you know, it, it may it may go okay, but it's best to strategize because you want to have you want to make an impact. And I prefer to make an economic impact. So, um, yeah, I mean, Atlanta's response is it was it was something it was something that left. I remember when the protests really broke out at the CNN building. I was actually with Melissa Mitchell and Truth, um, Anthony, uh, Truth Gary. And we was at Mint and we were just watching just like, wow, this is, this is crazy. You know, it started off as a big group and then there was the fires and then windows getting busted in and all that stuff. And it was just like, you know, this is a revolution. What you, what you expect after too long, you know, we tried. We've tried everything. Y'all not listening. 
I'm not promoting violence, but what you expect? You can only take but so much. Any human being can only take so but so much um, before they hit their capacity of mourning. You know, we've all this is happening with people are being fed fear um, during a global pandemic that no one had the answers. And we got to think hundreds of thousands of people have lost their lives during this. Like people are hurting. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to, um, <laughs> you know, George Floyd was just the last straw for everyone. And so um, it was good to see the youth out there. You know, they need to be heard. There's a huge generational gap that's that's missing um, in a lot of our and a lot of things that are going on. So it was good to 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 see them get that out. But, you know, um, it was it was bittersweet. There were parts of it that were very bittersweet. I had, you know, I saw white folks saying stuff like, well, you know, why do they have to damage the Starbucks? <laughs> why do you say I, I, I actually. A lot of Starbucks, I, don't you? <laughs> I, I had don't, a. Don't um, touch the yeah, coffee, there was, you. Yeah, there was a guy that he said, you know. Well, they they didn't have to damage the Starbucks. And I was like, yeah, but they, you know, George Floyd and his child, like they're not going to get that back. Starbucks can be replaced with insurance, all these things, you know, Um, and he just couldn't see it. And I'm just like, you're absolutely part of the problem that your property is worth more than our life. Like and this is another part of why it was so um, Juneteenth takeover was so important is the way tone deaf organizations and folks in the arts and just our nation as a whole, the way they move, you're making it harder for us to advance, which means you still see us less than same as three fifths. You know what I'm saying? I'm not less than. And just because you don't understand me don't mean I don't bring value to the table. That's the bottom line. This is Catherine Weiss, artist, printmaker, community organizer, and you are listening to Studio Noise. That's real. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, well, actually, you know what, Jazz, we, we ain't heard from you all summer, girl. What, what do you think about it? I know, it? right? Uh, uh, yeah. I I thoroughly, <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed. I don't know if that's the right <laughs> thing to say. I, I really liked uh, seeing people become more radicalized, like seeing people talk about property over people, seeing people um, with all of this COVID stuff, seeing the, the, the ills of capitalism and how it does not serve us. The fact that like this country has to operate at 100% capacity <laughs> in order for it to keep going, that is like a problem. Um, but with the Black Lives Matter protests, I think that was my main takeaway was seeing people just like get back into reading, get back into, um, mm-hmm. yeah, just like get back Finding into, mm-hmm. yeah, just, well, yeah, and also just not mm-hmm. being, you know, just like, I'm not taking it no more. I can't take it no more. I'm, I'm yeah. emerged in fear and I can't live like this. 
you know, and we deserve better. Like who, who, you know, (laughs) who said white folks, okay, y'all get here and y'all in charge of everybody. Don't work like that. It does not work like that. So yeah, they had to be reminded. Mm -hmm. I feel you. I feel you. I I feel the exact same way. If anything, uh, it showed me, uh, well, not me in particular, but uh, the people of the world showed them that there there is black engagement with the youth. And like, mm-hmm. so a lot of times the narrative is that, you know, these millennials are just out here and they don't care about nothing. And, and that's, that's not absolutely true. not true. Like it's, it's yeah. plenty of people out here that are, are, have read the books, have done the work, quote unquote, done the work. Like um, mm-hmm. they always assign people to do, but they do not always get focused on. They don't always get their voice heard. So just like mm-hmm. when I, I bring this up a lot, but, when people say, what's wrong with Chicago? Um, why don't y'all help there? I mean, there's people on the ground right now helping. There's been people mm-hmm. on the ground for years that help every single day that never get attention, that are never um, highlighted, that are never like held up as heroes. And uh, mm-hmm. unless something major happens, like you'll never know those people's names. But, you know, today there's probably a man out saving another gang member from doing something crazy. And you never that, hear yeah. that. You never hear and that. See, in, in and see, that's, yeah, that's that's what I grew up around is like, we had a code, you know, so like the uncles could talk to the, to the nephews, to the cousins in the neighborhood, aunties, everybody. You know what I'm saying? We protect the village by any means necessary. Yeah. And now I couldn't imagine um, having like social media, the, the pressures and things like that as a youth because we failed we failed our youth we have failed them no one's grabbing them by the side and and saying you know son listen you know and i'm not gonna say no i take that back not no one it's definitely happening but not how it used to and Mm. um it, it seems like we've gotten away from um well we got away from it maybe we're now we're getting back to it but being more selfless, checking up yeah. on folks. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like and that's the thing. I, I don't feel like we we got away from it. I just feel like we didn't focus on it. Like and yeah. so like if you if you go on Twitter and think Twitter is the world, it's that type of thing. Like if, if you yeah, if you didn't world. see it on Instagram, then people aren't doing it, and that's not true. Yeah. You know yeah, what I'm saying? So like all of that all of that work is happening because. It didn't spontaneously start happening when George Floyd died. It had to already be there in their <laughs> spirit in the first place to get yeah. out and protest and be, yeah, yeah. be vigilant and fight back and resist. Like all that, all that stuff is already in their heads, and they just needed a flashpoint. And I think that George Floyd, uh, the pressures of COVID, and like the fear that you were talking about, the whole environment, the context of it, created the right moment to let them activate mm-hmm. that spark that's already there in them because the, that groundwork had to be laid like it's no way you can live your life just being selfishly and then you mm-hmm. see something and now now i'm gonna go and mm-hmm. and go out and protest like nah like you felt that already and so the groundwork yeah. is laid and we don't always acknowledge that in a lot of ways our youth hasn't been failed we haven't seen it yet but it's mm-hmm. there you just kind of have to believe in your folks a little bit to to let them know that they can rise to the occasion the same way um, John Lewis, you know what I'm saying, rest his soul, he rose to the occasion the exact same way. He was 19 crossing mm-hmm. the bridge. You know what I'm saying? And getting beat up. Like, who who put that in his spirit? Those same people 
put it into the spirit of the youth now we want to ignore it and don't see it because we like because we laugh at the tiktok dances and we see instagram yeah all the distractions yeah all the distractions but you know it's in their spirit it's in their spirit they're reading they're seeing they know and they think they're not you know they're not stupid individuals like these children are brilliant oh man yeah even with tiktok like I've learned a lot from kids on TikTok. These like Gen Xers, <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, they they're on it or Gen yeah, Z. Yeah, they're on it. They're on it. So uh, we pass uh-huh. that spirit down to them. You know, the kids mm-hmm. gonna be yeah, all right. Most that definitely. And you know, rest his soul, John Lewis. Like Emmett Till was his George Floyd. He said. Um, oh, imagine that. Say that one more time, y'all, because I think people need to need to let that sit on their soul a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Emmett Till was. John Lewis is George Floyd. Ain't that something? And it just come becomes a point that enough is enough. And this is another generation of that. You know, it's another generation of that. And um, I think now where we're, especially in our lifetime, um, you know, it's the youth, they need to be heard. And they they wanted to make their voices heard and they did make their voices heard and now they're forming their own organizations you know because a lot of them have reached out to some adults and they haven't been responsive they can't get support they don't know they want to do something they don't know how to do it right um and and i'm not and i don't want to generalize because there's definitely a lot of um folks who are doing the work on both sides um, but yeah, it, you know, it's a lot, <laughs> it's <laughs> it a lot, and it is so that, much, <laughs> it's so much. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I was thinking about during all this stuff is just how American black Americans are like, <laughs> we want life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. We want this nation to live up to its creed. Like we want all these things and at what point do we like divorce ourselves from that because it's clear that like they don't want to give us that and they aren't willing to give that up to us and it's crazy too it's like man y'all y'all want us to not have it so bad that you came into our protest and started it because you <laughs> started fires and and played yeah. bricks and stuff. The umbrella and you man. we're gonna get pinned for that. Yeah, the umbrella man deep. like that dude like that joint was wild. That's deep. That's really deep because you know what's going to happen when these police show up. You know we're gonna get pinned for it. Yeah. You know. So it's like no, y'all can't even protest the same. Yeah, <laughs> you know, for me, if you want to be, right yeah, that. yeah, if you want to be a white person and protest, hand over your resources. Yeah, hand over your resources in the way of black people. Yeah, you you can't protest the same. You know, and then folks will put out the signs and Black Lives Matter and all. It's it's actually starting to get very uncomfortable for me because it's like, um. You'll put the signs up, but in your office or your organization, you'll make it harder for a black person to advance, but be the first person mm-hmm. to speak George Floyd and all that and Black Lives Matter. But you're not changing your behavior on your day to day and your professional or your personal. 
Yeah, so it's still you're, operating systemically. Yeah, so you can say like, oh, how dare that officer? But what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? Like, what are you mm-hmm. doing to challenge any systems? Are you hiring black people? Are you compensating, fair, fairly compensating black people? What are you doing? And so when you ask that question, I think we uh, will move into kind of some of the areas where you are operating with your different partnerships that you have. Like, so what do you see inside these organizations? Like, what are they doing, uh, in your opinion, to kind of change the system a little bit? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I work with I'm open to working with various organizations. I heavily vet the organization, that work, the, the organizational integrity before I work with them. When it comes to the white organizations that I do work with, um, it's like someone has to do the dirty work. You know, some some of us, yeah, we can build our own tables, but we got to kind of crack those doors open in other areas as well. So the organization, so take Remerge, um, Historic Auburn Ave, they're a nonprofit organization. They um, they work a lot with our more vulnerable in the community, and you know the our homeless population is just constantly on the rise. And so they're always making sure, like providing for them, incorporating with them. We do art shows. You know, they come to the meetings. Like they're part of that community. And I know that the integrity of that organization is, I've seen it through and through. They've supported me. They've supported multiple artists. Um, and they've just been doing the work. And it's not like, oh, look what we did for black people. I've never experienced that kind of tone with them. That's dope. Yeah. And, you know, same for Mint. When I got on the board, um, there was one other um a black woman on the board and so you know just i could see how they were operating but then it's like no if we're going to be in this historic neighborhood um i don't believe that we should be at the mercy of the neighborhood because you can't be like you know you can't turn yourselves into a black led organization <laughs> and they don't know they they're only they they're not going to be able to ever relate to us in that way um, but we are uh, incorporating like artists from Melissa Mitchell is now part of our board. Um, the photographer, Alexander. uh, Floyd Hall is part of our board. You mean Melissa Alexander? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. I'm Melissa so, Mitchell does I, the Spanx. Like, yo, yo, y'all yes. got Spanx at the thing? My gosh. Yes. And I, <laughs> I'm always doing that when I'm um, explaining that too, but Yes, Melissa Alexander is, she's probably going to kill me. Please, please edit that part out. (laughs) (laughs) Melissa Alexander, Floyd Hall. But these are all people that, I mean, before any of this stuff happened, we were vetting for our board because we wanted to make it more of a well-rounded, everyone's perspectives, um, and not just have the typical white gallery experience. Which Mint has always um, supported all various types of of artists. Um, 
I actually curated the our jury, you know, our jury with our executive director, Jessica Helfred. She and I curated the jury for our last exhibition. And, you know, that's why it's important for us to be at the table so that we can make sure that we're creating spaces for us to still thrive because we compensate our artists as well. We pay our artists to create and to judge. Oh yeah. More, more studio noise fam. Mint. We had them on um, talking mm-hmm. about their wage certification. You know what I'm saying? Make sure all, all artists get paid uh, right. that work inside of Mint. So that's always a good thing. Well, y'all check the archives for all this stuff you mentioned in. yes we we talk about a lot of stuff uh so let's let's jump into to your company a little bit let's talk about powerhouse uh tell us tell us um how i got founded and kind of what you do um so initially i had um i started a brand called trios atl some years ago and i just really wanted to feature local artists chefs and musicians and with treehouse it was about mental health for creatives and just supporting um supporting them supporting the person that I didn't feel got enough shine like I like to see folks shining I like to see the the overlooked shining and so I would go and interview local creatives in Atlanta and have tea with them and just talk to them about what they had going on and I have some PR background so I'd work my PR angles as well. Um, A year of being up and running, it got best new thing about Atlanta and um, best public art show uh, for my one year anniversary from Creative Loafing. And, uh, oh yeah, I had a one year anniversary at Closet off Edgewood and it was an art show and, you know, it went really well. Had a mix of different artists in there. And just prior before that, Fabian and I had started working together. Well, no, he had reached out and was like, hey, I need an assistant. And I was like, eh, like, I like helping folks, but <laughs> I'm still trying to build this rocket ship. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I'm still trying to build my rocket ship, but all right, let me help you with yours. Cause, you know, I just like helping folks. And then it was like, <laughs> he's gonna kill me the occasional super shit happened <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah I, he was working with a, a really dope group called muddy water and that's richard dunn and kimberlyn bolton um and some other folks that are running that organization but they were more like for me for musicians and so they phased out i came in and I'm just like, well, why are you doing this? And you should be, you know, let's put this here and move that there. And just kind of like tried to architect and create some structures um, for the work that he was doing. But I really got to see like the behind the scenes of like, oh, you really don't get no support. <laughs> you know, everyone loves to reach out, but no one would want to pay or, um, you know, like. The brands would would hit him up and say, "Well, we've got this client that loves your work, and can we get mock-ups and things like that?" Come to find out, the client would be the NFL, but then they would find out about his Colin Kaepernick work, and he just wouldn't get the support. So a lot of projects would always come through, 
and um, come through and fall through. You know, so it was really rocky, and that's really where I I kind of cut my teeth in in with a lot of this was like, nah, man, y'all ain't finna be uh like doing my artists like that. Like we need to have a process here, but it was also him too. Like, well, we gotta have we gotta meet halfway with what some of what's going on. So if I'm putting in work to kind of pull some deals together or they hit him up, then it would be he passed me the ball and then I drive it to the end zone, you know? Right, right. Um, so, yeah, you know, I started working with Fabian and then I started managing Fabian and then uh, randomly his Colin Kaepernick mural building got demolished um, a few well, days not so randomly. Ago. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That was that was that was yeah. Um, but you know, Capable basically when that building got demolished, he was really besides himself, and I knew that he was just going to put up one mural, and I was like, "Yo, you going to take that?" Like we were really competitive when we worked together, and. <laughs> so you hyped well, him? You hyped him up? <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, I was talking a lot of shit to him. I'm like, um, you gonna take that? Like, oh man, you gonna let them do you like that? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah. I was like, dang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, throw, throw, throw a drink in his face, son. What you doing? <laughs> right, right, right. And that was just pretty much, you know, I think that's why our like partnership was so dynamic because we were both really like competitive with concepts and things like that and just bounce the ball back and forth off each other and, and really had the the projects and the concepts have like a lot of momentum. Um, but yeah, so the building got demolished. I knew he was going to put up one big Colin Kaepernick mural just to replace the one that had got demolished. And I was like, no, nah, you need to go bigger than that. And so I was like, we're going to drop like 40 murals. And he was like, no, because I'm not trying to get arrested. (laughs) Uh, And I was like, all right, not 40. But then um, he chose seven. He named Capable. And then that was it. From there, it was I hit the ground running. You know, I got um, two daughters. They're 19 and 15. And, you know, my oldest daughter, she she set up the GoFundMe like we the my place turned into a whole headquarters um and strategized you know getting the locations getting the artists all that stuff and that turned out to be a huge success the city turned it into they took it as like a a citywide mural hunt (laughs) when we was putting up the murals because i was actually just pushing them out like okay this looks c-flux thing at this location but when I was pushing them out, they each had like numbers. And that was actually really for me, just so I could stay organized. But I didn't realize that when I had pushed the damn flyers out, folks took them as like, oh, okay, we're at wall number three. Okay, now we got to go over <laughs> wall number seven. And I was like, oh, I didn't find out till like two weeks later that that's what really was going on. Nah, that's good. That's that's kind of one of them um, serendipity things that, that happened that you mm. didn't know that you needed. Like that kind of structure because it, yeah, it, it does it was become some, like a connected dots, like a hunt, like a CDs mm. in order almost. It's like, yo, we had three, but we didn't see two and one. Like, you know, we got to go back. Like, 
So it's that kind of human psychology that I think, I don't know if you, you say you didn't mean to, mean to do it, but somehow like that's what happened. The, the human yeah. psychology of it like worked out for you. Yeah. I think the best part of that is because when I really caught wind of like, parents started taking their kids out and it was the kids that were like okay now you know can we go over to mural number two and they were bouncing back and forth between all the murals and I was like that is so dope um but really like when I when I started pushing out those messages um it was Super Bowl Sunday so I was like well I'm gonna just you know narrate this like a game like the NFL got their game. Well, this is our in, in the arts, you know, in, in arts and social justice. Shoot, our our kickoff starts at ten, <laughs> you know. And I think I didn't realize how how much the people were into that. Like, they the response was so crazy. Um, the city came through deep. They was donating stuff. We actually had folks drive down from um, South Carolina just to donate like truckloads of paint. You know, um, folks was bringing all the artists was like, I'm good on snacks because every, everybody <laughs> came back to the studio snacks, that yeah. night. Like everybody's had <laughs> snacks, <laughs> cookies. Yeah. Um, but supplies, everything. So it was it was great. As an organizer, um, I've worked with Colin Kaepernick, who reached out after or well, during Colin or sorry, during Capra Bowl. Um, couple weeks later he flew us out to baltimore for the know your rights camp and then a couple weeks after that like he came back in town and so i was able to organize the artists and the business owners who allowed us to uh create on their buildings and so they all got to meet colin and now just when it comes to organizing in atlanta um they usually reach out to me and just like pull the community together and I helped organize the community for his uh, for his NFL. Hello. Ah, oh, good. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I helped organize the community for his um, NFL workout, his historic NFL workout, and also for a Know Your Rights camp that was held here, uh, a pop up camp that was held here at the gathering spot in which we organize over 400 underserved youth and um malcolm x's eldest daughter um honorable uh, tala shabazz was there nick cannon and um a whole bunch of chameleonaires just just folks within our culture were there and pouring into these kids trayvon martin's lawyer um ben uh, attorney ben crump was there and we're teaching the kids about their rights what to do when the police pull you over and all those things. So that has truly been an honor to um, be able to work with Colin and the camp in that capacity, especially when it comes to Atlanta. Like it's, um, it's, it's been amazing with them with that. Yeah, that was, that was pretty fly. So let me ask you this. What, what, what is it about kind of your background that makes you like so well suited for this kind of organization work? Mm-hmm. Um, I came up really, I came up pretty rough. I grew up in drug houses. Um, it was, it was very intense. And 
while it was intense, I'm actually extremely grateful for it because I know that um, it's given me perspectives that can't be taught. You know what I'm saying? That's just a fire you you go through as an underserved youth. You know, and a lot of what my family went through was, as with most black people, a result of systemic oppression. And so those perspectives, those, um, how should I say, those qualities, those lessons, they've never left. I use them every day. I still use the skill set from how I grew up. And also in my work, it's like, okay, you're not a black led organization. You can't speak for my people. You know, it's just like you can't come into our communities and like speak for us. If anything, you can support us by giving us resources so we can speak for ourselves, but you can't speak for us. And what I come from is a village mindset. You protect the village by any means necessary. So, you know how I talk about the elders taking these, you know, come here, son, let me talk to you for a minute. Like that's, that's where I come from. Um, and also, you know, I am an, I am an underserved youth. You know, I'm under, I've been zip tied and held at gunpoint. I didn't been through all of it, but it got to a point where it was like, um, I don't want to take this with me. I I, I don't want to take the pain and just like it's it's draining to be black in America if you allow it to be, you know, and and not even just if you allow it to be, because sometimes you just absolutely can't. But it's it's such a it's such a um, struggle through a 24 hours to just keep your your mindset right. Right. I, I, I don't know. If, like you said, you kind of went back a little bit, but. Like, I don't think it's if you let it, I think it's if you don't have a way to cope with it. Thank you. Yeah. You know, yeah, cause that, that's a better because, mm-hmm. you know, people are, are you're going to deal with it. Like when whether you mm-hmm. end up, you got no choice. Yeah. Whether you end up yourself as a perpetrator or uh, getting into substances to help you like get away from the pain or or, you know, what I'm saying like you taking control and power into your own hands and kind of finding a different outlet for it. Like your frustration mm-hmm. and anger. Yeah. And it's just like, you know what? I don't, I'm, I want, my people deserve better. And I'm here and I got the energy to do it. You know what I'm saying? But I want my people and, and my villages, the creative community and underserved communities. You know, I, I come from both. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it's crazy because I actually took one of those personality tests just the other day. Like, um, I took one in college. Oh, Lord. What did it say? Well, I was I was happy to find out that I haven't veered that far off. So I'm an INTJ. Um, that's what it was in college. So now it says INFT or IN, INF. Wait, what did it say? INFJ-T. So now, you know, they got half an email. <laughs> but yeah, break it so down. Break it down for us said. people that's been been huffing um uh, yeah, oil based so, inks for the last five years. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's I'm 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 the introvert that likes to work in small groups, but I like to work by myself as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and very observant. Um, but it was ironic because I took this personality test and it said advocate. It was like, you are an advocate. So I was like, oh, I, I did, you know. <laughs> there you go. A yeah. lot of people don't, but it's important because a lot of people don't get to do their calling because they're either not self-aware or just feel that this is the only option and it's not. Like, I mean, now I, there's like so many titles that I and, and organizations I'm a part of that it's just like, no, nah, I'm just I'm just a black woman that just wants to do what feels good. OK, I'm a strategist for you. I'm a consultant for them. I'm a manager for this. You know, just pick a title. I don't care. I'm just doing <laughs> what you know what I'm saying? I'm just doing what I'm just trying to um, I'm not trying to. I am just creating um, balance. And I want to see us thriving. You know, I want to see the creative community thriving. And I want to see underserved and underrepresented um, Black artists thriving. Yeah, I really admire your I come as we mindset. Like you come into these organizations with the idea of you coming with a group, <laughs> you representing Black people and advocating for Black people. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, I mean, I feel like I feel like I've, I've I really feel like I have a responsibility to like um, our elders have sacrificed so much and I can't let that go in vain. So I'm gonna do my part, you know, until it's my time to go, then they're going to get all the smoke. <laughs> Period. Yes. Yeah, that's real. That's real talk. Um, because yeah, you know, our our people deserve it. Our people, we shouldn't be having to go through all this for what? Like for racism? That's crazy. Racism has got to be the dumbest thing ever. Yeah, racism is trash. <laughs> <laughs> you know, racism is just it's it's just crazy. It is crazy. You know, I think about it. Even being an advocate, I have all these organizations. Yeah, we want to work with you and all that stuff, and I'm like, okay. I get that, but like just because it looks good from the outside doesn't mean that like it's a fit because I question your organization, you know, or even when it comes to funding, a lot of organizations will get all this like nonprofit hundreds of thousands in funding, but then you have tone deaf people leading the organizations to continue to offend the black community or leave us out then reach out, you know what I'm saying, and say that you want to work with us and then not give us anything. It don't work like that. That's good, Joe. And that's why we're glad we got you like in those spaces, having those conversations, Joe, speaking about uh, in such a strong, powerful voice, uh, speaking about the needs of the community. So, you know what I'm saying? Much thank you to you, yo. Tell them where they can find you, yo. Mm-hmm. www.power.com haus creative atl.com and then same thing on linkedin and uh instagram nah, that's, what's up. that's what's up yo and we appreciate you big ash thank you for coming back on the podcast yes, thank you and talking to us yeah. yo. We, we definitely gonna keep up conversations Man, me and you studio noise we gotta do something yo we gotta, we gotta figure out some way we can uh contribute and, yeah. and work together and promote a little bit more but we'll talk about I that. would love to. I would love to. Yeah. 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 Um, absolutely. 
And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the bag. Big shout out to Ash Nash. Keep doing your thing, girl. Organizing, making them big moves, getting in the room. That's the most important thing, yo. You got to get in the room uh, where it all happens. In the room where it happens. What is that? Hamilton? (laughs) Yes, yo. You got to get your Hamilton on uh, right quick. So I know you're already anxious, waiting. Can't wait after such a great interview for another episode of Studio Noise Podcast. But guess what? Next week, we back with our 100th episode of Studio Noise. Uh, It's a little celebration for us. Two years in the making, end of the summer session too. So we're bringing that to you. We're going to celebrate a little bit. Uh, It's going to be a good time, yo. So check that out. Uh, And that's next week. In the meantime, in between time, I think you need something to listen to. to Keep you going in the studio. Make sure you get in that studio and make some work. I say you should go listen to Van Hunt on the Jungle Floor. This album is amazing. I love his first two albums. They were genius. Uh, he was a uh, tremendously underrated when he came out. So check, definitely check this one out. It's good vibes. Cosmic ray shoot through my body while we play. And it ain't no way you can't listen to this album and, and feel good about yourself and give you that energy to start making music. Just let it flow, baby. And once again, want to thank you. Want to thank you for listening to the Studio Noise podcast. Wherever you're listening right now, why don't you just take a second, hit that subscribe button. Uh, if you can write a review on Apple or anything else, give us some five stars, show. Write a review. Get us pumped up in the charts. Let everybody know about the noise. You can always reach out to us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast or send an email at Studio Noise Podcast at gmail.com. And you can find my co-host who is back <laughs> now after such a long hiatus uh, over on Instagram at Negros.Supreme. Don't forget that dot. And you, as always, you can find your boy Jay Barber at Jay Barber Studio on all your social medias. And to all my artists out there, don't let nothing get in your way. If you get the opportunity to be in a face-to-face show, you're comfortable, you wear your mask, you social distance, all that good stuff, then go ahead and do it. If you got to do a virtual show, then get your stuff together. Take some good pictures. Get the virtual show, no matter what it is. The one thing you got to do, get in that studio, make some noise, and don't let nobody stop you from letting people hear it. That's what we're all about right here on Studio Noise, baby. Make the noise. It's always the noise. We'll see y'all next week. Peace.